will always tell every one who wants to be a writer, read, 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 read. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 69. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, if you are enjoying this podcast, would you please take a minute and rate and review it on iTunes? Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and let me know there what you think of the show. The ratings and especially reviews truly help your fellow book lovers find the show in iTunes. So thank you for doing your part to spread the book love. Before today's guest joins us, I have some fun feedback to share from a recent guest. That's Eli Sykes in episode 67. He said, you have rekindled my love for good books. I can't thank you enough. I devoured all three of your suggestions and I can't wait to hear all the others. Those others are coming from you. You can leave more suggestions for Eli and all our previous guests in their show notes. Eli's page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 67. He shared that comment with me on Instagram. Follow the show at whatshouldireadnext. Today's guest, Carolyn McCready, is a professional reader, is the acquiring editor for a large publisher. I love talking books with Carolyn. We've never had an audience until today. We talk about how Carolyn's reading journey began in a Baskin-Robbins, a few of our favorite TV shows like Parenthood and This Is Us, and which books are most like them, novels about families that are big and interesting and messy, the joys and perils of the lucky day shelf at the library, the author that makes me feel like I have really good taste, and more. Let's get to it. Carolyn, welcome to the show. I am. This is a total joy to be with you today. Oh, my goodness. My one regret is that we are not having this conversation in person over large plates of food and big cups of coffee. I would love that. Um, Good pizza and good conversation about books is just about my favorite thing. So next time. Kindred spirits. I love (laughs) it. Okay. Well, I was just delighted for the opportunity to talk books with you today. I feel the same way. We've gotten to know each other and had a few book conversations already. And um, I am a giant fan of your show. Oh, thank uh, you. Little, a little obsessed by it because you are talking about my favorite thing in the world. So what could be more fun than to talk books today? Thanks for asking me. Well, I just love the way you put that, that talking books is your favorite thing in the world. Because professionally, I would be so disappointed to find out that really it was just drudgery for you because by day like books are your life Carolyn like your actual put bread on the table kind of job books are my life and I could not be happier with my job it truly is a dream job doesn't mean it's always easy or that I'm not dealing with crises half the time but it is really a really a fun job Um, I'm an acquiring editor for a publisher and that means that I am looking to add new voices, new authors to our publishing um, lineup. And um, so what I get to do is talk books with people, books and ideas, future projects. I get to hear authors speak and share their um, their ideas and their visions with me and then work with them on the development of their book. So um, truly for a book lover, it could not be better. I have so many questions. I don't know where to start. Okay, but I'm going to try. So first of all, 
and I've never gotten to ask you any of these questions before, so this is going to be really fun for me. How do you know or what registers in your brain when you start to suspect that an author really has promise and is somebody you want to work with? That's a great question. And that is the joy of my job. I get to look for people that I want to work with. That really is such a pleasure because there's the whole package there. Um, An author you know, as a full person. So what are they like to work with besides their ability to write? So the first thing is, can they write? And I see proposals. Um, sometimes I see articles. Sometimes they're a blogger. So I've followed their writing in some form or another. So there's that spark. And anybody who reads a lot knows that. And it's not the same for each person. It can be, did they move me? Oftentimes that's what it is. Can they, can they write? So I, who am a little jaded at this point of being in this business for a lot of years, uh, was that new? Did they say something in a fresh way? Did it make me say, huh, make me keep reading? That's probably the biggest thing because I do. I see lots of proposals. I read massive books for fun, but I read also a lot of books for my job. So did this stand out in some way? And it it can be just the right turn of phrase, um, but not once. I mean, they have to show that they can do it you know, over and over. Um, And then the idea is the idea fresh. Um, I I won't even give you a specific example. (laughs) I don't want to bring up anything I shouldn't, but you know, there are some topics I just see over and over and people say, oh, no one's ever written a book on this. And I'm thinking, oh, I've seen like 10 proposals this month on that. So, um, so I'm looking for freshness. Um, I'm looking for creativity. I think somebody who reads, it makes all the difference in the world. I believe if you don't read a lot, you cannot become a great writer. Okay. I have so many questions. Okay. First, (laughs) let's back all the way up. You made a reference to being jaded. And I think that's kind of a cliche if you're the kind of reader like I am who's reading uh, literary pieces like in The Guardian or Kierkegaard or The Atlantic. Can you tell me a little bit about what that feels like and when you start to see it in yourself and just what you mean when you say in publishing, it's easy to be jaded? Sometimes that just means I've I've seen a lot. <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen more than I want to tell you about. No, um, that you, you know, that you've seen so many people create something that feels very similar, that, that it becomes, um, you know, it's that kind of ubiquitous music around you, that it's just this, the same kind of ideas and the same kind of words over and over. And that, it, it, you know, that that's just, it just happens. And some of it happens because of how the world moves or our, our society, our culture, especially moves in cycles. And people are talking about the same things at the same times often. And so maybe everyone's talking about being stressed out and overwhelmed, whatever it is. And I will see just proposal after proposal about it. And everyone's story starts feeling very much the same and they're presenting it in the same way. And I'm feeling like it's coming from just the same big vat of, of ideas. That's one kind of jaded. That's just kind of as an editor looking for new ideas. Um, in terms of what good writing is, I just feel like I need to, this is why I read all the time beyond what I need to read for work is I need to stay sharp and fresh myself and be astonished over and over by good writing so that I recognize it and I remember what writing can be. And every book's not going to be that. Every book doesn't need to be, you know, a piece of amazing literary art. Sometimes a book is about communicating a 
really cool idea, clearly, and that's okay too. But I want to always remember that writing can do something really amazing for us. It just can move us at a deep level. So, so I need to keep reading that, not be jaded, not feel like a book's a book, you know, just get an idea across. No, we can do it in some really interesting, creative, beautiful way. So that's maybe a different kind of jaded. Your initial comments made me think that you've seen enough. Um, what's the word I want? Maybe drama? Oh, <laughs> to fill the to fill the big screen over and over and over and over again. Okay. Yes, books about publishing are still really interesting <laughs> to me because they're true, and I, I a lot of people do like that world. It's kind of like you know people are often in um, advertising in those novels or movies because it feels really interesting. Publishing is a little like that, maybe not quite as as intriguing or interesting, but there's lots of drama because in publishing. You're working with people who are putting their heart and soul out there. Um, some people are, you know, some people, it, maybe it's just a job. But for most people, it's it's their creative work. It's their baby. It's their heart, their vision. So, yeah, there's lots of can be lots of drama in all kinds of ways. And and in my job is to find those people who will be a good match for our publishing house with the, what they have to bring to the table, what they're writing about, their skill and ability, and their ability to share that with the world. Okay, now I want to go back to a comment you made about how you can tell when a writer is a reader. I'm so curious to hear what it is about reading that shines through in an author's work and why you think that's so valuable to someone who is writing themselves. Now, I can't tell you for sure that I know when someone's a big reader by their writing, although usually I also know because I know them as a person and we talk about books a lot. So I would say I've seen it played out. The people who read deeply, interestingly, widely well, it it's totally reflected in their writing, They're in their vocabulary, in their creativity, in their way of um, thinking about a new way to present an idea. Just even their turns of phrase. Uh, you know how it is when you, I don't know, if, you, if you're watching a movie with Southern accents, you can kind of start picking that up. Or um, if, if you're reading, if you're watching Downton Abbey, you kind of start bringing those phrases in. I think that's okay. That's healthy and fun. And kids do that, I think, as they're going through stages and reading books and learning about the world. And I think all of us play with ideas and words and ways to say things in in more interesting way, in an interesting manner, um, by bringing that into our head through through books. So I certainly say I would see that. One of my favorite authors I work with um, just released a book this last year, and she's a giant reader. And I tell you, I can totally see it in her writing. And we do talk about books, so I know, you know what she reads, but I just see her writing is deep and it, it um, is interesting. So I will always tell every one who wants to be a writer, read, 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 read. And that's something you really live out, which is so impressive to me because I've talked to a lot of people in your role as an editor and acquisitions editor. And a lot of them don't read in their eight to five work. They read in after hours, even though that's a very key part of their job. So they're always reading, but they're always reading for work and they're always reading unpolished works and pitched manuscripts, and they never get to sink deeply into Dostoevsky or 
I don't know, Charles Dickens or even whoever just won the National Book Award because even though they're reading all the time, they don't have the time to read like that. And yet you do. So can you tell us a little bit about why that's so important for you and how you make that happen? I don't sleep enough. Um, (laughs) And I love sleep. So you can tell how much I love to read. Um, It it, it is not easy. It's true. An editor's job usually does bleed over into after hours. And I will have stacks of manuscripts or partially worked on projects or proposals sitting by my bed. My husband loves that. Um, So there (laughs) always is, you know, some of that. But reading is my love. It's my entertainment. It's my escape. It's such a joy. And reading manuscripts in process is a different kind of reading. It's it's interesting. It, it can be very enjoyable, but it is a different kind of reading. It, it's reading to find what's wrong. <laughs> it's reading to see what needs to be fixed. It's having to think um it's being creative as you're reading in a very different way than I can read when I'm just reading the next great novel that you recommended on your podcast. So, I, I mean, I will do, I'm doing it for myself, but I also believe so deeply that that's what will make me the best editor I can be. So I don't feel guilty about doing it. I feel like it is a part of my work. It's what makes me, um, valuable, hopefully, to my authors and to my company is that I, I know what's out there. I know how to compare things. I know who's, you know, who's out there that's making a, a fresh splash and why. So some of it may feel like it's just about feeding my inter- need for entertainment, but I also know that it has um, really deep ramifications for my job. <laughs> Carolyn, I really relate to what you're saying because so many times I have to like psych myself up to say, no, really, this reading is making me better at what I do. Even if I do really, really, really love it, it's okay that it can be right. important and I can love it at the same time. Exactly. I'm finding that more and more. And I, I do believe it. So um, so I'm not going to feel guilty, but there are times when it seems like, oh, this is too much fun. So, <laughs> I, um, I, you know, there are some nights when I have to make the decision, am I going to read this novel I am just madly in love with as I go to bed or do I need to finish this manuscript I'm working on? And, you know, the choice is different from night to night. So mm-hmm. um, I will say for me, reading it's like eating ice cream. I worked at Baskin Robbins for three years when I was going to high, in high school. It was my high school job and it was great. It, um, and people kept asking me, aren't you tired of ice cream? And I said, no, I will never be tired of ice cream. I will never get sick of ice cream. And that was the truth. And it still is. I love ice cream and books the same way. I worked in a bookstore. I've been in publishing for years now and I will never get tired of reading. Okay, Carolyn, I have been patiently restraining myself from asking you about your books, but are you ready? I am ready. Okay. You know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. I'm dying to hear what you've been reading lately, especially. Well, I will tell you... As every person tells you, it's hard to pick three. So I went with your advice, just three books you love, not your three favorites. And I kind of cheated a little bit because each book I decided had to represent more than a book. So each book's kind of like a type of book that I love, type or genre. So the first book is The Brothers K by David James Duncan. And I read this book years ago. It is representing novels that are about families that are 
big and interesting and messy. I found that's a, definitely a type of book that I love. Now, David James Duncan is also one of my favorite authors um, beyond just this book. I read his The River Why and his um, essays. His essays, his nonfiction is wonderful. He's just a fabulous writer. Um, David James, Dun James Duncan is um, Pacific Northwest writer. And I live in Oregon now and grew up in Washington. So a lot of the landscape feels very familiar to me. I can imagine the places he's talking about. And this novel is about a family. They live in Washington. The dad was a uh, pro or semi-pro baseball player for years. So baseball plays very big in the story. It takes place in the 60s. There are four brothers and twin sisters who play a very small role in the book and a mother. So dad's into baseball. Baseball's a driving force for this whole family because it was dad's um, heart and soul. And uh, mom is a very religious woman. She is very devout Seventh-day Adventist. And so religion and baseball are, are two big themes. And then these four brothers all have different paths um, that are very reflective of that time period. There's uh, Vietnam Wars going on. So one of them's a draft dodger. Um, he is pacifist, great guy. You really fall in love with him in so many ways. He goes to Canada. Another is really following his spiritual path, which you think about in the 60s in our country, and um, goes to India. So there's this very interesting story that happens there. Um, one of the brothers is sweet, more innocent, um, is uh, sent to Vietnam. And that's a harsh, harsh piece of the story. And, and our narrator is Kincaid. And it's just a it's he, it's a very earthy book. It's humorous. It's loving at core. And I just love the questions that he's dealing with um, about family relationships, um, love, faith. What does that really look like? Um, it was one of those where I felt like I lived this life. And it is long and it is um, kind of an unstructured feeling novel. There are these different voices. Um, I like complexity in a novel. I like to feel what what a family feels like. Um, so I, I appreciated that about him. Um, and, and the questions and even the tangents that David James Duncan takes you on, I just found fascinating. And even though th there's some harsh, harsh um, moments in the book, um, but I felt this real core of, kind of love and um, family connection that was very moving. I just read that one for the first time, maybe a year or two ago, and it was not what I expected at all. <laughs> And I, I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I just didn't, I mean, how do you describe a novel like that? Like baseball and mm -hmm. Vietnam. And I really, really liked the way I didn't realize he, Duncan was a Pacific Northwest author, but just the way he contrasted extreme darkness and grief mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. moments of just like pure joy. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think that's something I really like in novels. And I get teased about it in my book group a lot because I'm I'm a pretty upbeat person, pretty optimistic. I, my life's good in so many ways, but I do like heartbreak and loss and depth in a book and even, you know, death and hardship. But I, I need to find that core that, that brings back joy and love and life um, when those two things can be 
connected. I think I think that's real life. And for an author to be able to present it as beautifully as he did, I thought was really, really wonderful. So highly recommend. Okay. Um, book two? Book two. Book two. Okay. Again, uh, this was a harder one to pick because I'm, I'm representing the uh, memoir genre and I have like 10 memoirs that I adore. I, I love distinctive voices and I'm just always looking for people who are just fabulous writers that they take me away by describing something so beautifully. But this one I decided to pick, um, Tender at the Bone by Ruth Reichel. And I picked that because not only is it a great quirky memoir, but it also fits the food memoir category, which I also love. So I'm a, um, a person who loves food. I wish I could say I loved cooking, but I don't do it enough to say that. But I, I do <laughs> like cooking. I like cooking. I love eating. I love thinking about food and I love food writing. So um, Ruth Reichel is one of my favorites. And I know, I think you've mentioned Garlic and Sapphires before, which I also adore that book by her. Um, that's her third and her three memoirs that she's written. But Tender at the Bone is where it started. Um, and I just distinctly remember starting this that book. And it was another one that wasn't what I expected. I don't know what I expected looking back, but I was just delighted from the beginning. Her voice is funny and smart and quirky. She um, writes about her early years in this first one, Tender at the Bone, and she grows up, I think, New York and Connecticut, her early years, with a pretty dysfunctional family, mostly because her mom is probably mentally not very well. She's smart. Um, but she's a terrible cook and not just a bad cook, but she feeds them things that, you know, like they're moldy or they're really bad. But Ruth writes about this with great humor and she grows up in this family with, you know, just really interesting dynamics. And because that's her, her role is to kind of protect in some ways from her mom cooking and serving them this food, she learns to cook really young and has a a sense for it. I just, she has um, an aptitude that comes at as, as a young girl. So sh this is her early food life. Um, she ends up going out to Berkeley, um, living in a, I don't know, big house with a bunch of other people who are all into the food scene in Berkeley on um, the seventies, which was, you know, very instrumental. And I think the book ends where she's just starting to do food writing for like, a San Francisco magazine. So it starts her career. But she's just a delightful writer, and she makes you laugh. Um, and some bits are, are a little horrifying almost. As anybody who writes those memoirs of their young childhood, which who have parents who were pretty dysfunctional in their lives, you know, there's moments you cringe at. But she she tells it so well. It's, you know, it's a mix of empathy for this little girl and also a lot of humor. So I, I think that's a, a great example of a really interesting lovely memoir who that starts her whole life into this world of food and cooking. She ends up being a restaurant critic for the New York Times and um, goes on and runs Gourmet Magazine, is the executive editor for um, Gourmet Magazine and Gourmet Cookbooks. So yeah, she's a great writer and has written maybe four books past this one. I really like her. I really like her work. And I really like this specific. Did you have a hard time choosing Tender at the Bone over any of her other works? I was going to pick Garlic and Sapphires, but then I saw that you talked about that one before. And I thought, okay, this one, I don't know if you, it, it may have been on your show too, but this was a good place to start. So, but I did, a, I did a hard time choosing, um, but I think this is a good place to start. I think so too. That makes me Great. want to read it again because uh, 
reading it, it was so distanced from my real life. I mean, talking about living in, she might use the word commune in San Francisco as a young 20 something. It was just, it was the stuff of fiction to me. It was just fascinating. Oh, I felt the same way. Just so interesting, which is what's so great about these books. We feel like we can kind of live these lives that we never could. So, yes. There's some deep quote about that, how a reader lives a thousand lives because you get to I vicariously experience. Every, I know we both should know it, but whatever. We both should know it. That's exactly what a book does for us, doesn't it? It just, I feel like, oh, I have this chance to live all these different worlds and lives and cultures. Exactly. Okay. And Book number three, I don't know if you've read this one or not. Uh, this is representing my love for YA fiction and for, everything represents more than one thing. And for, <laughs> and for Madeline Langle. Um She is totally one of my very, very, very favorite writers. Um, I fell in love with her in my 20s and I have read almost everything she's written and she has written a lot of books, way more than people would expect. I don't think I've written, read all of her non fiction, kind of spiritual, biblical stuff that she wrote, but most everything else. And I just think she's amazing in so many ways. So trying to pick one of hers was um, a little challenging. I like her her memoirs. Her Crosswicks journals are great. Walking on Water. Of course, as a child, I, I know the first entry point for me was, like most people, um, A Wrinkle in Time, which is a, a you know fabulous kids or YA novel. Um, but this one, A Ring of Endless Light, is one of my very favorites. I loved it so much. I think I read it first when I was in college. I remember crying as I read it. Um, it was just so moving to me. Um, and it, it is number four in her Austin family series. First one's called Meet the Austins. It's totally worth reading if people haven't don't know about those books at all. And um, there, I think there's four kids in their family. And it's just one of those charming, loving families that you want to be a part of. So as I read them, we just feel like I want to go to their house for dinner tonight. I want to live in this world. Um, Madeline Lingle always brings in art and music and she's was always interested in science. So that always comes into the books. These are always thinking families that, you know, that care for each other and are interesting people. So this book is, um, Vicki is the main character. I think she's probably 16 or so. And it's first love. It's a lot about loss and grief too, because she and her family are on this island and um, her grandfather is not doing well. And this may be the last days they will be weeks they will be with him. So there's this feeling of loss and of her um, falling in love. There's boys and and there's dolphins, which if anybody told me this was the um, plot, I would have maybe rolled my eyes, but <laughs> it's really, really, really good. Uh, so uh, yeah, I would highly recommend it. It's um, spiritual in beautiful ways, That's what, you know, which Madame Langle can do like almost no one else. She writes, talk about writing with a fresh voice. That is something Madame Langle has always did. Um, I really like, since you're talking about Madeline Lengel and her voice, I also like how she seemed very self-aware that her books were off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Like she knew what, she wasn't serving up the same old stuff. Were we talking about jaded earlier? I'm not right? sure how to bring that word back in, but it belongs in this conversation about <laughs> Madeline Lengel. 
It does, because she's the opposite of that. And I think she, as a person, is the opposite of that, how she lived life. And then um, for publishers to discover her, they had to think outside the box. I know there's the story that everyone who knows her at all has probably heard that she took Wrinkle in Time to lots and lots and lots of publishers. And it's probably been... um, exaggerated maybe how many people it went to, but it was turned down many, many, many times before someone finally picked it up. And, you know, one, I think it won the Newberry. I know it was, you know, really highly lauded and has, you know, bestseller for how many years since. So yeah, that's exactly right. That's a great example of thinking outside the box. I think she was more like, you all may have seen it all and I don't care. Right, right. Look at this. Well, and I love that she brings science in, in this wonderful way. And she wasn't a scientist, but she was just interested in the world. So she'd read things and then find ways to bring them into her novels. And so many of her um, YA books have interesting science in them in some ways. And I have never gone back to see how did that all hold up? You know, it was the science good, but I just think you, it, you feel smarter just reading her. And at the same time, you feel like there's real people in her, in her stories that love each other and are finding their way through hardships and hard times. Um, so she has these families that are, and then they feel very functional in lots of ways, but at the same time, their lives aren't perfect. The hard things are happening and they're figuring out how to, um, how to navigate those together in ways that I think are, are really beautiful and um, a great model. Reading Madeline Langle also always makes me feel like I have good taste. <laughs> it should. That I can recognize good writing when I see it. Yes, you in can. In a very self-serving way. <laughs> well, and she's simple in some ways. You know, she's not hard to access, but she's she's just so thoughtful and talented and creative. So, yes. Well, that's, good. I'm glad you like her too. That's a great description that she's not hard to access, but she does seem very thoughtful. I mean, even to fourth graders. You went to fourth graders. Isn't that great? Carolyn, what's a book you're not so crazy about? Well, um, you know, I didn't want to go with one that was too easy because there's always, you know, a novel you pick up and go, oh, that's not great. And mm-hmm. put it down. But mm-hmm. I thought, okay, what did I not like that I'm kind of embarrassed about not liking? And I decided to share that one. Um, I really did not like East of Eden by John Steinbeck. And that is like right on people's top of their list for best book ever. So it's a little embarrassing to say I did not like that book. And maybe it's because of my expectation. I hadn't read it until fairly recently. So it's like two years ago in a summer. And I thought, I'm just going to do this. I know it's kind of long and it's time. I know this is a fabulous book and I'm going to love it. And I just didn't. Um, I kept thinking maybe if I read it in a college class or I read it for a book group and I talked about it, I might have liked it better. It felt so much like it was about big themes and types and um, issues I was supposed to be catching and writing a paper on <laughs> instead of just an enjoyable mm-hmm. book for me, at least for me. Um, I, and I maybe the biggest thing is I just did not like any of the characters. And I'm it's, again, it's a little embarrassing to say that because I don't want to just be, oh, they have to be sweet, and nice and charming. And that's why I like a book or don't like it. But I just did not care for the characters they this level of selfishness was just so high and the revenge factor that might even even been it it might have been that so much of it felt like about um it felt like it was about 
getting revenge somehow, being hurt, and then that hurt playing out. So I can see that it's a good book, and I can see that it is worthwhile to read and discuss. And I think John Steinbeck's, you know, an amazingly talented writer. But I did not like that book at all. Okay, so it's not the writing, but the no. themes, just not for you. The themes and those characters were not for me. And I, it is always interesting to say, why didn't you like something? And I guess I just couldn't relate to any of them. We'll I would say that. as a human being, that's probably speaking in your favor. I just read that for the first time too, a few years ago. And I also had heard a lot of people describe it as their very favorite book of all time and was really surprised to dig into it and find out what it was actually about. And it was really a lot darker than I had anticipated, despite the fact that it was called East of Eden. Perhaps that should have been my clue. <laughs> Maybe we should have known. Exactly. Maybe I needed to know too. And you're right. It just is darker and it's, it's distressing, which is, this is hard for me to say that I didn't like it for that reason, because I think I often am fine with books that are somewhat, maybe distressing is too hard for me. Maybe I don't mind things that are hard and harsh and uncomfortable, but this one ended pretty, pretty bleak. I love talking to readers who are either not sensitive or sensitive in different areas than myself, because it's just so refreshing to hear different perspectives week after week. And all of that's good for me as an editor to remember, <laughs> not to bring it back to that, but it, I have to always keep that in mind. It's like, okay, my tastes are not everyone's mm -hmm. and my sensibilities and sensitivities are not everyone's. And so it's, you're right. It's really good to remember that. Very helpful. Carolyn, what are you reading right now? Oh, I just finished News of the World to be part of the book club that you are doing no, and loved didn't. it. I was just making notes, maybe question mark news of the world. <laughs> oh, loved it. It was okay, great. Good. Excellent read. Yes. Um, it was sweet and, you know, harsh and sweet all at once. I loved it. That was great. Interesting. I read a book called Ruined, uh, which is a hard, <laughs> hard one to read. It was recently picked um, by someone, I think it was Christianity Day. It's like one of the books of the year, memoir of the year for 2016. It, hard story, but well worth reading. It was a story of um, four or five girls who lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan and went to Bible college at Calvin and their house was broken into and they were attacked one night, which is mm. terrible. I know, just awful. Um, and this is a story of one woman, her memoir of going back and recounting that story and then talking about how she how she went on, how she handled that after and how she handled big big questions like, how do I think about life and safety and God and what's okay and how do I live through this ongoing um, trauma? So that was harsh, but it was actually a really, really good book, surprisingly. Um, I read Lab Girl by Hope. Jeremy. That's also on my list. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Just Cross no. it off. I added it when you said the thing about Madeline Langle in science. The science thing. I know. Well, it was great. She's so smart and such a great writer. And I did skim the science a little bit, but it was really good. Um, and then I'm just reading a couple good new novels, The Hopefuls, that I just happened to pick up the library. The uh -huh. library has totally upset my reading life. I just rediscovered it about six months ago. And it's crazy. You walk in, there's books on the lucky day shelf. I take them home and my whole reading list is totally upended. And then you have to read them quickly because you have to get them back. So it's um, 
it's running my life a little bit right now. I think they'd be so delighted to hear that. I'm sure they would. I'm a great believer in life race. I think as a child, I maybe paid for a new wing in my overdue fines, though. So I've been staying away for a few years. <laughs> okay, Carolyn, okay. I have ideas for you, even though you're making me X them all out of my list. And we will get to them right after the break. Carolyn, welcome back. Are you ready to dive in? I am excited. Well, I'm nervous, but I do know I love talking books with you. So we will talk this out. Okay. I was really surprised to hear you mention that you were a big fan of YA. Can you tell me a little more about that? Yes. I, um, my degree was in education uh, with a um, emphasis in reading um, as a reading specialist and um, a minor in English. And so I read lots of YA um, growing up, of course, I was a massive reader. So I read all those books that, <laughs> you know, teenagers getting in trouble, whatever. Um, <laughs> all those books that probably parents worry about uh, when I was a junior higher, um, maybe into high school. And then onward, I've just kind of stayed in touch with YA, probably not as much as I used to. But more recently, I've loved Rainbow Roll um, or Raoul, however you say her name. Um, Loved Wonder, oh, Gary Schmidt, uh, okay for now. Those are a little bit younger maybe. But so, yeah, I'd actually would like to read more YA. And I, whenever I hear something great recommended on your show, I'll often write it down. John Green, I read his. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not somebody who is familiar with uh, everything out there recently. So I'd love more suggestions in that area. But, um, but I am a fan. Have you read The Wednesday Wars by Gary Schmidt? Yes, I love it. I'm okay, looking at cool. it right now. I'm glad to hear it. I thought you might have. Okay, for yes. book one, What About What I Saw and How I Lied by Judy Blundell. I don't know it. Great. Okay. Well, Gretchen Rubin clued me into this one in one of our November Kid Week episodes. So here's what I like about that for you. This is technically shelved as YA. It's published by Scholastic, and the main character is a teenager. However, we've also got a heaping helping of messy family drama. Okay. Sounds Are, great. Excellent. So we have a young girl named Evie and I forget, even though I just read this in the past few months, I forget exactly how old she is. She's from New York city. So she doesn't like drive or anything. So I don't have those identifiers. Is she more than 16? Is she less than 16? <laughs> but for this story, she is old enough to dream of being in love and to be really into cute boys. What I really remember is the emotional impact mm -hmm. of this story. So Evie and her family head down to Florida to take a vacation. And while they're there, her father connects with someone that he served with in World War II. And Evie mm -hmm. totally falls for him. And let's just say that the family... And this cute boy, cute 20, young 20 something, starts spending a lot of time together in Florida. And then uh, relationships develop and potential business deals develop in the wake of some rather sinister, though not so obvious at first that that's the case, um, cultural climate in Southern Florida. And then there's an accident at sea where bad things happen. And Evie realizes what she understood to be the case might be totally wrong. And she needs to decide where her loyalty lies and what she's going to tell the police and what truly happened and how much growing up she has to do. 
and it's a big fat mess and it's all on her shoulders to see the way out. How does that sound? Sounds great. Interesting. Fun. I will like it. I'm sure. So this pulled down a bunch of awards like School Library Journal, Best of the Year, and uh, American Library Association. I don't know what you think about the library's taste on the grand scale, and not just your <laughs> local branch, but it was the best book for young adults. And so it's only been 10 years, but it at least has 10 years staying power. And reading it, I would have easily believed that this was written straight out of World War II and not just 10 years ago because it has that it doesn't feel shiny and new. And I love, I love things that are new and shiny mm -hmm. and Ooh, let's go see what that's about. But mm -hmm. it feels like it has staying power. Sounds great. I, I think I've heard of this book and maybe it was from Gretchen Rubin on that episode. Um, now that you mentioned it, but I, um, when you said the title, I thought, Ooh, it's vaguely familiar, but I've definitely not read it. And it sounds like something I will truly enjoy. So Excellent choice. It also has a really striking cover. So if you see it, you won't forget it. And I don't know how much the cover of it's like a almost black and white silhouette Ooh. of a teenage girl holding a tube of red lipstick. I don't know how much it actually has to do with the book, but it's attractive <laughs> it and it's memorable. Right. Those publishers, they know how to catch your attention. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. That's it's, great. It's like it's a business or something. Well, great. Very fun choice. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. I'll definitely read it. Okay, for book two, I'm not sure if you're going to say, of course, I read that forever ago, <laughs> or if you're going to say, why haven't I read that yet? And okay. the book I have in mind is a memoir. It is not remotely new. It is An American Childhood by Annie mm -hmm. Dillard. Love, love, love that book. Love it. Because, <laughs> love that book. Because she opens books like jars. And she you see does. her fall in love with reading. Oh, that's a great pick for me. <laughs> we can still count it. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, love okay. it. I'll go read it again. In that case, I am going to riff Lab Girl, and I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not, but you can tell me. And the book I have in mind is by Michael Pollan. It is The Botany of Desire, A Plant's Eye View of the World. Have you read it? No, but it's been on my list for a long time. Oh, has it really? Totally know about it, but I have not read it. Have yeah. you read anything by him? Articles. I think that's it. I'm always interested in him. Did the one of the whole food thing? Definitely interested. But I think I've only read articles at this point. So, and it, maybe it's because I think, oh, do I? Well, I care about that sciencey thing. But I, I think I'll probably like it because I know he's a great writer. Here, when I think about this one, which I haven't read for years, but I do really like his writing. I mm -hmm. remember the story he tells about how his father created a meadow. And the way he describes it is so funny. So this is, it's a science book. And I think he's a little more pointedly appealing to a popular audience than Hope mm -hmm. uh, Jaren mm -hmm. was. And she was so successful, even with her very, very sciencey science memoir, so successful yes. at connecting to a mass audience. So I would like to think that if you like Hope um, Jaren, and that was kind of a stretch for you, mm -hmm. Michael Holland would be a little easier. So have no fear if you really loved Lab Girl. But he tells this story about how his father had basically a yard completely overgrown with weeds and mm. he took the lawnmower and he cut just one swath and all of a sudden he didn't have a yard overgrown with weeds he had a meadow and I just mm -hmm. really loved the way he talked Beautiful. about yeah not only what nature is like because the story is a plant's eye view of the world and the things he tells I mean the stories he tells about weeds 
<laughs> and the biology of weeds will either make you weep if you're a gardener or just <laughs> be in awe at the um, resilience of the natural world. But that story of the meadow, I love how it encapsulates the coming together of nature and man and what happens when those two come together. And I mean, that's a really kind of cheeky story. And it gives you a glimpse into his kind of wry sense of humor he has as he approaches these very serious topics that affect all of us every single day. I'm glad that's on your list. And I hope that you give it a try sooner rather than later. I will. It will move to the top. That sounds great. Yeah, I just needed a little push towards it. Those are the kinds that I think I should read and I know I'll probably like, but you don't go to quite as easily as the next new shiny novel. But when I read them, they're usually the kind that stay with me and I'm really happy I read. So great. I completely resonate that. And something we talk about at my house all the time is I have so many books on my list and there's a little science, speaking of Michael Pollan, (laughs) And a little luck and a little serendipity when it comes to truly choosing like what is actually going to make it to the top of the stack, because there is a quite large actual physical stack made of real pages (laughs) of paper. And then the, the metaphorical stack is, I mean, I really think I could be reading for five years or 20. I know. Yeah, forever, which is the wonderful thing. It's so exciting. It's also overwhelming every once in a while. So exactly, exactly. It's a wonderful problem in both senses of the word. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, for book 2.5, because we have talked about it before here on the podcast, but if you had read this, I would love to talk about it with you. Have you read The Mothers by Britt Bennett? Yes, yes. Really loved it. Okay. Loved it. Yeah. Messy family drama. That's what I like Messy about it Messy family drama. It's great. Sorry. I've read too many of these. <laughs> I, I love, well, it's because you recommend good books and well, I read them. I thought you would have read that one. Okay. For this oh. one, I'm, I was just looking it up and the rating is not great, which was giving me second thoughts, oh. but I'm going to go with it anyway. Oh, actually look, okay. it's way better on Amazon. This is going to sound good. weird. Okay. We'll go to Amazon. <laughs> okay. So the bonafide pick three I was a little trepidatious because I looked it up as we were chatting and the librarian's rating on this is kind of low. And I'm so curious why, because on Amazon and Goodreads, it's actually quite good. So we have more of a quiet novel that is not remotely akin story-wise to News of the World, but it's quiet. It's short, but here's why I'm comparing this to news of the world over any of the, over the brothers K or tender at the bone or a ring of endless light is because this is a quiet book. Mm. And while it's a drama about a family that's not immediately apparent. And that's all I'm going to say about the family part because I don't want to give anything away because it really surprised me. And when I finished this book, I went, huh? But it's one of those books Mm -hmm. that I read it and my immediate reaction was, I don't know, but I find myself coming back to this in my head Mm. often and I find myself Mm. recommending it a lot. Now, if you've read it, I'm going to be really disappointed. It is My Mrs. Brown by William Norwich. Are you familiar with this one? No, never heard of it. Good job. Okay. My Mrs. Brown. Great. Okay. We have a woman her name. You can guess her name, Carolyn. Okay. Yes. So Amelia Brown <laughs> is, I think in the story, she's described as a woman of a certain age. She mm-hmm. is practical. She is frugal. 
She is a pillar of her community. She is respected. She is restrained. You know, she doesn't do anything splashy. She hears about what people think of her. She's respectable. Mm -hmm. If I already use that word, it's completely legitimate for Mrs. Brown (laughs) to use that word twice. So when we meet her, she has a quiet life and she has a small job. And then one day through a serendipitous sequence of events, she comes across a dress that changes what she wants out of her life right now. Mm -hmm. That's great. (laughs) It's an aspirational pick for her. It's not anything she's ever worn before or needed to. And it is a beautifully tailored Oscar de la Renta sheath and jacket and so it's just the perfect suit and she knows that she needs it to say what she needs to say for this reason that we don't know so it's a quiet story about a woman who needs a dress and the question (laughs) is why this dress and why why does she need a dress like this you know a fancy expensive respectable but gorgeous dress like what on earth is this occasion that this woman with this quiet life out in the suburbs somewhere needs and she meets um, unexpected friends along the way and I keep saying on the podcast that I'm a sucker for an unexpected friendship story and that doesn't mean you are but I think we can see enough of your taste about how the the joy and the sorrow commingle and like family mm-hmm. dramas always mm-hmm. bring together unlikely characters who maybe wouldn't have chosen each other but circumstances bring them together and they do make Mm. a choice to make something of it. You see that here and you don't see a ton of it because it's only about 200 pages, but I think there might be enough of it there to go on. How does that sound? Sounds perfect. Lovely. It makes me think a little bit of the Kent Roof novel, Our Souls at Night. Well, yes. I can't wait to hear what you think about mm. Kent Haroof real quick. It seems like the people who recommend him to me, um, starting with Andrea Griffith in a podcast episode. Oh, it's been a while, but she owns a bookstore, Browser's Books in Olympia, Washington. Oh. So, you know, oh, she's legit, yes. right? But it seems like the people who recommend him love the books I love, like, um, Yes. Like all I can think is Lila, Lila Robinson, mm, I like love Lila oh, Robinson, was, oh. mm-hmm. or Wallace <laughs> yes. Stegner or yes, Wendell yes, Berry. Yes. Like that's who he gets yep. clustered with. And I adore yes. all those authors. Oh, you will love this. Yes. Start it's reading happening. him. Okay, good. Well, I appreciate your recommendations. These all are fabulous. I love getting book recommendations. So being able to be on and talk with you and get these um, exciting new books, I I don't know what I'm going to start with. No, that's usually your question. You're going to ask me. I will probably, sadly, buy them all. I, I'm trying to use the library, but when I think I'm going to really like something, I usually buy it. So um, what am I going to start with? All three. I'll read them all very soon, and I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> we'll take that. Good. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much for coming on, Carolyn. Oh, it's been a total pleasure. Thank you so much, Anne. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Carolyn today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Carolyn and to let her know what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 69, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at What Should I Read Next and at Ann Bogle. 
To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes, what should I read next news? Make sure you're getting our newsletter. Sign up at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.